You're listening to According to Sam, episode 83. Welcome to episode 83 of According to Sam. Thank you so much for listening. Got a really good show for you today. Got a lot of stuff to cover. It's been a while since my last uh, podcast, and and there has been a lot uh, that took place. I'm going to try to get to as much of it as I can. Um, I hope everyone's staying warm out there, particularly uh, my friends and family in uh, the state of Texas. They're experiencing uh, power outages, rolling blackouts, along with temperatures in the single digits. And, uh, you know, Poxitani, uh, Phil, the groundhog, uh, in Pennsylvania who predicts the future as far as, uh, if we're going to have a early spring or a late winter, um, he got it right this year. <laughs> Saw a meme on, online, uh, the other day and it was, uh, the groundhog, uh, and it said, I told you mothers. <laughs> and he did tell us you who else got it right joe biden joe biden you know predicted a dark winter he got it right he got he predicted a dark winter many millions of americans in the state of texas are experiencing that dark winter people are sadly uh dying uh it's it's tragic and uh we're going to talk a little bit about that uh today um, please visit the website that's according to Sam with the number two dot com altogether. According to Sam with the number two dot com, you'll find the show archive there, uh, news and, and pieces that I've written. Um, I, with that said, I'm going to get right into, to, in, into today's podcast. We're going to start off talking about Texas because, uh, what's going on in Texas has, uh, brought up, uh, a debate, uh, about climate change, renewable energy, and and uh, its effect on what's going on in Texas. This first clip I have is uh, from CNN, giving you a little overview of what's going on, and then we'll get into today's show. Thanks again for listening. Arctic temperatures and rolling blackouts hammering Texas as the country sees record lows throughout the South and Plains states. More than 3 million homes and businesses without power and heat, including more than 1 million residents in the Houston area. City officials slamming the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, the private company that runs about 90% of Texas's electric grid. So Electric Reliability Council of Texas, uh, ERCOT is the acronym, and the R stands for reliability. This is a private company that is responsible for 90% of Texas's uh, energy. And uh, it's not, it doesn't all come from one source. It's diversified. There's some coal, uh, there's some natural gas, um, there is some renewable energy with the wind turbines, there's solar. There is, um, I think there's some dams and hydroelectric power. Uh, it's, they're responsible for 90% of the grid and Texas is a large state and the, the sources of power that, uh, that power the grid come from a variety of, uh, of different sources. 
and uh, and after the you know they forecast the storm the storm came in it was uh one of the worst storms that texas has ever had uh, in the in the last 50 years they haven't seen temperatures uh get this low uh but when the power started going out that kind of surprised people i'm from texas uh grew up born and raised in in texas on the gulf coast uh we've had hurricanes tornadoes we've had freezes like this maybe not this severe when I was a kid, never remember the power going out. So, so this is new, uh, and this surprised a lot of people. So, people started pointing fingers, uh, who's responsible, and then uh, there were a group of people who blamed. And this even came from uh, ERCOT, the company responsible for uh, the grid, uh, that the wind turbines failing um, is what contributed to uh, the rolling blackouts that Texas was uh, experiencing. And so uh, Jen Psaki read our uh, new press secretary. Uh, she had to come out and she had to address this because Joe Biden has uh, bet everything on uh, renewable energies, green jobs, fighting climate change, the whole uh, Build Back Better New World Order, Joe Biden is all in. So Jen Psaki had to come out and address uh, these false claims that renewable energies are what is causing uh, people to, uh, people are dying in Texas. Uh, what's going on in Texas right now is uh, outrageous. Um, it's third world. But uh, Jen Psaki says that the renewable energies, the wind turbines, are not to blame. Take a listen. I will say that there has been some uh, inaccurate accusations out there. I'm not sure if former Secretary uh, Perry made these, but uh, that Governor, it was the fit. Governor Perry. Governor Rick Perry was the governor before uh, now Governor uh, Greg Abbott. Before Rick Perry uh, served two terms as governor of Texas, he was lieutenant governor to George W. Bush. The guy, and she's saying that, and, and after he uh, was governor of Texas and lieutenant governor of Texas, he was energy secretary under uh, Donald Trump. She's saying that this guy who was lieutenant governor and governor of Texas and Secretary of Energy, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's he's giving you disinformation, misinformation. He's giving you the the conspiracy theory. He's giving you the QAnon. I'm going to give you the truth. I will say that there has been some uh, inaccurate accusations out there. I'm not sure if former Secretary uh, Perry made these, but uh, that it was the fit that that suggested um, that uh, renewables caused failures um, in Texas's power grid. And actually, numerous reports have actually shown the contrary, that it was failures in coal and natural gas that contributed to the state's power Coal shortages. and natural gas is what contributed to the state's blackouts. That the, that the renewables, they, they, they stood the test of time. The, the renewables are are standing strong. It's not the the renewables that failed. It's the coal and natural gas is what these studies say. She even attributes falsely uh, comments to uh, the company ERCOT uh, here. Take a listen. 
and officials at the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which operates the state's power grid, have gone so far as to say that failures in wind and solar were the least significant factor. They did not say it's the least significant. See, people, there's, there's three power grids in the United States, essentially. There is the eastern grid, the western grid, and Texas has its own grid. And, and ERCOT uh, was set up in 1970, you know, before I was even born. ERCOT has been running this grid in Texas. And like I'm telling you, I've experienced all kinds of bad weather in Texas, growing up in Texas. Never has the power failed. So uh, ERCOT didn't come out and say that the failure in uh, renewables was the least significant and, and contributed to the least to their decisions to use control uh, blackouts. They said that it's the smallest part of their overall uh, uh, sources of, of energy to, the, to that particular grid. Like I said, the it's the the sources to the grid are diversified. They have uh, some coal, they have some natural gas, they have some renewables, wind, solar, uh, and uh, hydroelectric. Um, and 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 out of all of those, the the wind makes up the smallest amount. But when the wind fails, which it did do then that means that the other sources of energy have to make up for the wind. And that's what happened. Not only the, the wind failed, gas and coal also failed. But her sitting here making a statement like the renewables were fine, they didn't fail at all, is, is absolutely ridiculous. Here's the CEO of uh, ERCOT here, and uh, he says what I just told you. Ercot CEO saying the company is dealing with more outages because of frozen wind turbines and limited natural gas supply. This is CNN. Frozen wind turbines. Jinsaki. That's the renewables. Frozen wind turbines. Dealing with more outages because of frozen wind turbines and limited natural gas supplies. I think what uh, has happened here is uh, a response that kept the grid from collapsing, uh, that kept us from going into a blackout condition. And certainly uh, we need to look at what has happened here once we get everybody back online, which is the number one priority. So what he's saying there, that's the CEO of ERCOT. He said that that after the we lost the well, what actually happened is the wind failed, so that mean, meant that the gra- the gas had to increase its production to make up for the wind, and then that shut down uh, the gas and, and the coal. That's what happened with the coal. They both had to increase their uh, production to the grid uh, to make up for the wind turbines freezing, which they absolutely froze. Just heard CNN say that. And the CEO is saying that that contributed to us having to use controlled blackouts, shutting down the power in some areas so other areas can have power or the entire grid was going to shut down, is what he says. Saying the company is dealing with more outages because of frozen wind turbines and limited natural gas supplies. I think what uh, has happened here is uh, a response that kept the grid from collapsing, uh, that kept us from going into a blackout condition. And certainly uh, we need to look at what has happened here once we. That's what he says. Our response, our response kept the entire grid from crashing. 
Now, um, here is the governor, the now governor of uh, the state of Texas, Greg Abbott. Take a listen to what he has to say. Sean, this shows how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America. Texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy, such as uh, natural gas and oil uh, and nuke. Uh, but you saw from what Trace said, uh, and that is our wind and our solar got shut down, and, and they were uh, collectively more than 10% of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis uh, that was power that was spread out by that ERCOT organization, organization that you were talking about. As a result, uh, it just shows uh, that fossil fuel is necessary uh, for the state of Texas as well as other states to make sure that we will be able to heat our homes in the wintertime and cool our homes in the summertime. So who to believe? Who do believe? Who do we believe? I know that uh, we're living in a time where, where truth is, is questioned. People are questioning what truth is and what's reality it's you have conspiracy theories and you know calls for truth commissions and uh, how do we know what's true we have two competing stories we have Jen Psaki here uh, representing the Biden administration and they say no we're, we're going to bring the green new jobs we're, we're pushing forward with uh, with renewable energies this had nothing to do with the renewables and then you have governor abbott here the governor saying that no and then you have even the ceo of uh ERCOT, uh saying no uh are we lost wind turbines that and solar and uh that made up 10 percent of our power along with you know uh gas natural gas pipelines freezing that's what caused this who to believe who to believe well, I'm not going to tell you what to believe or who to believe. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you that that I was born and raised in Texas, and this is new. This this is something that Texas hadn't ever experienced in my lifetime, and Texas has had tons of uh, bad weather systems from hurricanes to tornadoes to freezes. This is new. Bad weather is not new. Maybe it, the temperatures are a little lower than they've been in the past 50 years, but that weather is not something that is unique to Texas. The power shutting down and the grid failing, this is new. I'll just tell you that. Not telling you what to believe. And then I'm going to play this clip. This is Jen Psaki again, uh, another part of the same press conference, and she's talking about Joe Biden's FEMA response uh, to what's going on in Texas and and the supplies that they're sending into uh, Texas to help people recover uh, from uh, the loss of power. Take a listen. Our team and FEMA continue to monitor the situation in Texas, as well as other states in the storm's path that might be impacted. We remain in close contact with states across the affected area to ensure any federal support requirements are met. FEMA has supplied generators to Texas and is preparing to move diesel into the state to ensure the continued availability of backup power. Generators and diesel. That's what the Joe Biden administration is sending to Texas. Generators and diesel. 
So, you know, in in this debate about you know what failed and 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 why people don't have power, in, in one side of her face, she's saying that fossil fuels and and the coal is what failed, and and not the renewables, and and that's why. Uh, people in Texas don't have power. The governor's saying the exact opposite. But look at the actions. <laughs> the Biden administration, they're not sending any renewables. <laughs> FEMA's not coming in with any renewables. FEMA's coming in with diesel. <laughs> What does that tell you? Remaining close contact with states across the affected area to ensure any federal support requirements are met. FEMA has supplied generators to Texas and is preparing to move diesel into the state to ensure the continued availability of backup power, which of course is a major issue on the ground, to key critical infrastructure, including communications, hospitals, and water. FEMA is also supplying Texas with water and blankets at their requests. We are preparing to quickly process requests from other states for emergency assistance. That's how the process typically works. And we urge uh, people in the affected states to, of course, listen to their emergency management. Water, blankets, generators, diesel. I didn't hear her say that they're sending any renewables into Texas. (laughs) That tells you everything that you need to know. Man. I mean, people, and it's so sad. It's so sad. You know, this, the theme of today's show is elitism. And that's what this is. This is elitism. It's elitism. Because they're the, the elite, the rich, the powerful, the pigs, they're going to be in the manor house. They're going to be warm. You're going to be out in the cold with the renewable energy. (laughs) <laughs> you're going to be eating synthetic meat and they're going to be eating real meat. You think I'm joking? This is Bill Gates. Uh, and I did it. He, uh, it came up with today it was in the new or uh, this week, uh, that was in the news about how, um, how, uh, that America and, and other first world countries need to transition to a hundred percent synthetic beef is what, He's saying he's not going to be feeding his kids this. The people in Bill Gates circles are not going to be eating synthetic beef, but you're going to be eating synthetic beef. You're going to be in the coal. You're going to be eating synthetic beef. Bill Gates believes the wealthiest countries should switch to eating 100 percent synthetic beef in order to help combat climate change. Speaking to the MIT Technology Review magazine, he said that some governments would be constrained by their wealth. I don't think the poorest 80 countries will be eating synthetic beef. I do think all rich countries should move to 100% synthetic beef. That's you. That's you, America. 100% synthetic beef. And uh, here's a clip with that. He's actually being interviewed by uh, a Vanderbilt. Anderson Cooper, the Vanderbilt. Again, another uh, elite um, the Vanderbilts aren't going to be eating synthetic meat. The Gates family's not going to be eating synthetic meat. That's not for them. They're going to be warm. 
They're going to be using uh, fossil fuels. They're going to be eating meat. And you're going to be in the coal eating this crap. This company, Nature's Find, is using fungi. And then they turn them into sausage and yogurt. Pretty amazing. When you say fungi, do you mean like a mushroom or a microbe? It's a microbe. Anderson Cooper's like, I'm not going to be eating that crap. Of course not, because you're Vanderbilt. Bill Gates and his family's not going to be eating it either. But you, who are listening to the sound of my voice, who are not in these elite circles, the, the big club that you're not in, if you're, if you're not in the club, you're going to be eating microbe. It's what's for dinner. Beef is what's for dinner. That, that tagline's gone. Microbe is what's for dinner. This is a guy who he is buying up all of the farmland and ranch land in the United States. This guy's buying it all up. And he's telling everybody what they're going to have for dinner, what they're going to eat. This is elitism. This is what we're talking about. I'm going to spend the rest of the podcast elaborating on that. Now, if you remember in uh, two podcasts ago, we were talking about uh, uh, the fact that uh, those on the left were saying that Trump supporters need to go to re-education camps uh, to uh, be deprogrammed, reprogrammed, de-radicalized. We talked about um, how truth uh, was and, and, and people not knowing what was true is the big issue in America today with the fact checking and the censoring, the conspiracy theories that the the truth is at a, a loss right now. Nobody knows what the truth is. And I in the last clip that I played in, in that episode was Stevie Wonder on Martin Luther King's uh, the uh, holiday for his uh, birthday and uh, he was doing a performance um, here's the clip it is time to formally seek the truth and formally declare facts we need a truth commission well <laughs> That was Stevie Wonder calling for a truth commission. And you might say, oh, Stevie, that's cute. You know, uh, there's not going to be any truth. And when, when we talk about truth commission, uh, I want you to know that when Orwell in 1984 writes about the ministry of truth, the truth commission and the ministry of truth are synonymous. They're the same thing. Again, this is Orwell being more than just a fiction writer, being a prophet <laughs> that uh, people are now calling for a truth commission because it's not just Stevie, my congresswoman, my new congresswoman who just, her daddy just bought her a seat in California's 53rd congressional district. She doesn't even live here. Daddy bought her a congressional seat. Freshman congresswoman is calling for a truth commission. Take a listen to Mrs. Sarah Jacobs of the Jacobs family. Daddy owns Qualcomm, billionaire, talking to you about elitism. Is over, uh, and even though one phase uh, of the Trump um, Trumpism is over, you also said in an interview with the Nineteenth uh, News website this week that uh, the country needs a truth commission. What exactly would a truth commission be? So I think part of what we're seeing now is because we haven't really done the reckoning with the racial injustice and white supremacy of our past that we need to do. And so, you know, a truth. I can't stand this woman already. 
She just got sworn in. Freshman. This is my congresswoman. And people, she she just turned she just turned thirty two years old. Um, you know, I said that uh her father was the uh CEO or the founder of uh Qualcomm. It's actually her grandfather. But uh I mean you should have seen I mean how much money she spent in this district and she does not live in this district has never lived in this district i'm on her wikipedia page now and it says that that she you know lives in bankers hill that means that she bought a condo in bankers hill because she's a carpet bagger she's never lived in this district she is a 32 32 year old jewish american princess who took this uh, seat after another Jewish American princess, Susan Davis, had uh, retired. Susan Davis had this uh, seat for almost 20 years, and then she retires and then, uh, you know, leaves an opening for another uh, billionaire Jewish American princess to come and uh, take the district. And Sarah Jacobs will probably have this uh, district for uh, 20 plus years with her family's money, uh, unless this district uh, wises up quickly. And as someone who lives in this district, I would say don't count on it. So she's new in Congress, 32 years old, uh, hadn't done anything in her life. And now she's an expert on truth and calling for a truth commission, not even a month in on the job. And this is crazy. This is elitism. It says right here on uh, the bottom of her Wikipedia page, um, climate change. Jacob calls climate change, quote, one of the biggest threats facing humanity, end quote. She wants zero carbon Clean energy economy by 2030. Zero carbon in nine years is what this 32-year-old uh, freshman congresswoman. I mean, the only difference between her and AOC, this dingbat here, is that her family's billionaires. That's why I'm talking to you about uh, elitism. They bought this seat for her. We didn't even have uh, a Republican to choose from because no Republican got enough votes. I mean... I love San Diego. That's why I live here. But I mean, this this is really sad when you see uh, what happened in this congressional district. Uh, the woman that she ran against, a woman by the name of uh, Georgette Gomez, is a, a Mexican American uh, woman. She uh, was endorsed by Bernie Sanders, so she was even to the left of uh, Jacobs. Uh, she, I think, she's a lesbian as well. And uh, I voted for her, you know, because my choices were between the billionaire uh, Jewish American princes or someone who who is to the left of her and out of the mold of uh, Bernie Sanders. I may not agree with with Gomez on anything, but at least she was born and raised in the district. Um, but anyway, Jacobs here is calling for a truth commission and uh, it's all predicated on the on the uh, January 6th Capitol riot, which we're going to talk more about. Uh, but everything is predicated on that because it is the Reichstag fire. Uh, the country needs a truth commission. What exactly would a truth commission be? 
So I think part of what we're seeing now is because we haven't really done the reckoning with the racial injustice and white supremacy of our past that we need to do. And so, you know, a truth commission, a lot of people will think of South Africa. We've used them in countries around the world. And basically what it is, is it's... uh, communities all the way up to the national level, having conversations about both the gory and the glory of our history and what happened both throughout the history of our country and leading up to and on January 6th so that we can come to a common narrative moving forward of what we want our country to be. Do you think the House and Senate leadership have the stomach for that? I think so. Look, we all were victims of this attack in addition to being the lawmakers of this country. And I know for a lot of us, this is very personal. We've had threats to our lives, threats to our homes and our families. And so I think that there are a lot of us who know that this impeachment trial was just the start of holding Donald Trump accountable, but that we need to make sure that we're doing accountability of anyone who incited, encouraged anyone, anyone. It's not just about Donald Trump. It's about anyone. This is what this 32-year-old congressional freshman hasn't been in Congress a full uh, month and calling for a truth commission. She's saying we need to go after anyone. Or that we're doing accountability of anyone who incited, encouraged, or committed acts of violence. And then really looking forward at kinds of things like truth commissions, like democracy, like institution building that we know are going to be the real fixes to what we've seen in this country. And it's obviously not anyone because they're not going at, they're not going to be going after anyone who encouraged violence on the left, anyone who encouraged the violence this summer uh, all over the country. That's not the anyone she's talking about. She's talking about you. <laughs> Joe Blow Patriot with the Confederate flag on his truck. You, you're the guy that 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 they're talking about. And you think I'm joking. There was uh two podcasts ago or the podcast uh before that, episode 80, we were talking about uh Anwar Al-Awlaki and uh how he was an American citizen that uh Barack Obama killed, killed him, killed his 16-year-old son, both American citizens without due process. I I, I remember me telling you about that and making the relationship b- between Anwar Al-Awlaki and, and, and how Obama killed him and violated his due process and his son's due process and another friend of uh, theirs who was uh, an American and violated their due process. I'm on Anwar Al-Awlaki's w- Wikipedia page now and uh, it says he was a Yemeni American imam and a, and a supposed key, it says supposed, supposed key ideological supporter of terrorism, according to the U.S. government officials, as well as uh, allegedly, it says allegedly, as well as allegedly being a senior recruiter and motivator. He was centrally involved in planning terrorist operations for the Islamic militant group Al-Qaeda. But, now listen to this but, and Obama took this guy out, not only took him out, took his son and and his friend out uh, without their due process, and this is on the Wikipedia page, but the United States government makes all those claims about him, but have not released evidence that could support their statements. 
They, the United States haven't even didn't even release any evidence. They just called him a terrorist, said that he was central in planning these terror, uh, terrorist uh, actions and, and recruiting and motivating. They just make these claims about him. They don't produce any evidence to give him any opportunity to defend himself, and they just take him out. And I made the relationship in that podcast in episode 80 to – uh, what's going to be done to patriots in the United States, how uh, Joe Biden and not only Joe Biden, because he probably doesn't even know what's going on, but uh, those who are pulling Joe Biden's strings, they're going to use January 6th, the riot at the Capitol, like the the Reichstag fire like Hitler when Hitler used the Reichstag fire and blamed the, the communists and uh, and used it to consolidate his power uh, increase protections around uh, him as he consolidated power the the military 20,000 soldiers are still there in Washington it's all predicated on January 6th and then going after his political enemies is what Hitler did using the Reichstag fire that's what Democrats are using the uh, the riot at the Capitol on January 6th to do all of those things that Hitler did uh, and, and, and used um, after the Reichstag fire to consolidate power. Now, I made the relationship to how they're going to come after you just like they came after Anwar Al-Awlaki and they're going to violate your uh, civil rights, your human rights, all of your rights. They're going to do that to you, and you think I'm playing. And that, that, that I, mean, I said that, but I have a clip of Nicole Wallace saying that exact same thing. Take a listen. And again, that's not us saying so, John Hyman. That is a bulletin released to all law enforcement earlier this week that there is until the end of April a person. To the end of April. That's hilarious. What happens after April? So the threat's not going to be there consistent anymore? threat of domestic extremism, domestic uh, terrorism carried out in the ideology and around this belief that the election um, was fraudulent, that the COVID restrictions are unnecessary. All of those ideologies pushed by Donald Trump. But, but my question for you is around incitement. Um, we had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing um, and in the case of Amar al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American, with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. You understand what she's saying? She's, she's saying that that was a policy that we had under the Bush and Obama administration kill list. And we had people on this list that, that we, that the administration would unilaterally, I don't even, she goes on to make this relationship, uh, to have to do with something with uh, Mitch McConnell and his uh, vote to acquit Trump. Uh, Congress had nothing to do with the kill list that Obama and Bush used to take out terrorists, who people who they call terrorists, like Anwar Al-Awlaki. And she's saying, since we have these domestic terrorist threats now, maybe we should use that policy here in America. Maybe we should be taking the domestic terrorists out at the root without any evidence just without giving them any due process if they're inciting violence then just like we took out Anwar Al-Awlaki the uh, American take these domestic terrorists out too is what she says 
We had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing, um, and in the case of Amr al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American, with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. Mitch McConnell was in the Senate then. He was in the Senate after 9-11, too. How does Mitch McConnell, who understands that the way you root out terrorism is to take on, in the case of Islamic terrorism, kill those who incite it, how does he not vote to convict someone that he said on the floor of the Senate incited an insurrection? How does she make that relationship is what I'm, you know, what I want to know. What does it mean? First of all, this kill list policy it was unilaterally administrated by the White House. The White House unilaterally said, kill this person. He's a terrorist. And the CIA would go out and drone them and kill them. Had nothing to do with Congress. Congress didn't review the kill list. So how do you even make this relationship? But but the relationship, the more important relationship that you need to understand that she's making is she's making the relationship that 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 policy that Bush and Obama had, that kill list policy where they unilaterally decided that they were going to kill Americans without giving them their due process or presenting any evidence of what they claimed their crimes were that that policy needs to be reenacted and we need to be doing it here in America but uh, for people who are inciting violence. People, this is severely problematic. This is If you don't have a problem with this, you're not very smart. Um, now, all of this is predicated again uh, from the January 6th Reichstag fire. The Reichstag fire is a uh, fire that happened at the capital in Germany during the uh, Weimar Republic. Um, Hitler uh, was chancellor, and um, and someone set the Reichstag on fire. Still to this day, we don't know who did it, but they blame the communist, and uh, and it allowed Hitler to consolidate his power. It allowed uh, the Nazis to to build up uh, the military force around them to use intimidation for anyone who, who decided to come against them and to go after his political enemies. That's what... That's the way the Reichstag fire was used. And a lot of historians say that Hitler himself and the Nazis are the ones who started the Reichstag fire and blamed it on the communists, his political enemies. Um, And they're starting to, now that we are four weeks removed from January 6th and, uh, and we've gone through the impeachment. Some of the, some evidence came out in the impeachment that alluded to the fact that uh, the January 6th riot at the Capitol 
was a stand down, which I've been telling you in my last uh, couple of podcasts that it was definitely a stand down. We have the video of uh, Capitol Police waving people in, opening gates, letting people in, helping people out. And during the impeachment, uh, you know, these accusations uh, were made. And we're going to talk about that uh, here in a moment. Um, I really liked uh, President's, uh, President Trump's defense. They got a lot of uh, criticism, but I like the guy from Philadelphia. I thought their defense was excellent. If you don't know what happened, uh, President Trump was acquitted again in episode two of impeachment. Um, and um, it's, it was a 100% of waste of time and money. And they tried to railroad the president, faking evidence, deleting uh, exculpatory evidence, uh, editing it out of their uh, videos uh, that they put together, their propaganda videos. Um, but one of the things, one of the points that, uh, Trump's defense made when they got there, and it's funny because, uh, the house manager spent three days. They were allotted 16 hours to make their case and they spent three days. I think they used every minute of their time trying to make the case, trying, you know, faking evidence, fudging evidence, playing uh, propaganda videos, making the emotional appeal. They did it for three days. And then uh, Trump's defense uh, spends, you know, two and a half hours on their defense and then rest. And then they're like, oh, we got to call witnesses now. <laughs> they're gonna call witnesses they even voted to call witnesses and uh and, and 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 they got enough votes to call witnesses but something happened after that what happened well they saw the witnesses that republicans are going to want to want to call and uh and republicans wanted to call people like nancy pelosi the speaker of the house to come and testify in the Senate hearing and ask her what she knew about the riot at the Capitol before the Capitol riot. Did, did she know that there was going to be violence? Had, had she been forewarned about what was going to take place and what she, what did you do? There, the, the Republicans wanted to call Nancy Pelosi and ask her, that, ask her those questions. And they had another, uh, I mean, a list of 300 witnesses that they wanted to call. So Democrats said, whoa, 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 backed up, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> let's not call witnesses now um it's, and it's so hilarious we are in some really hilarious and uh also some dire uh times here in this country but one of the uh when the, the trump's defense finally uh, after three days of this, you know, emotional appeal and, and, and lies and fake, uh, evidence and all the bull crap that, uh, the, uh, house managers put on. Trump's, uh, lawyers got to put on their case. And, and one of the, they started to play a, a few videos, um, as evidence. And, uh, they only, you I mean, they really only, put on a two and a half hour case as far or their defense uh two and a half hours and and uh it's, it was so interesting but we're gonna talk more about it here i want to play this video this uh is one of the videos that uh the defense team uh played and it shows this video um it's all from 2017 trump's first year in office 
Um, he's sworn in in January 21st, 2017. And all of this, uh, this clip, the people in this clip are people in Congress, uh, people in the House. The, uh, they didn't control the House. Uh, Democrats didn't control the House in 2017. They don't get control of the House until 2019. But in 2017, this is a, a montage of clips of, of Democrat House members calling for impeachment. <laughs> the bloodlust that that these guys have you, is evident in this clip that they're I mean immediately when Trump comes into office they're calling for impeachment. Take a listen to this. Say this for Donald Trump who I may well be voting to So this first one I, I want to give you some context here uh of the video because uh, th- their defense was brilliant because they used the house managers like this first clip that we're listening to here is Jamie Raskin, the lead house manager in his own words, uh, disputing the 2016 election. This is him calling for impeachment on January 15th, uh, 2017, uh, January 15th is before Donald Trump is even sworn in, uh, Trump is sworn in in January 20th, 2017. This is January 15th, five days before that. The lead house manager, Jamie Raskin, uh, saying that he is going to, uh, he may be calling for uh, Donald Trump's impeachment. This is also uh, before any of the Mueller investigation stuff uh, started and uh, any of the Jeff Sessions uh, stuff uh, had come out. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, the um, General Flynn uh, meetings had been, I don't even think the General Flynn meetings had been uh, leaked uh, at this time, and he is already calling for impeachment or saying that he may uh, impeach Donald Trump. Say this for Donald Trump, who I may well be voting to impeach. Donald Trump has already done a number February. of things which legitimately raised the question of impeachment. I don't respect this president. This April. And I will fight every day until he is impeached. That is grounds to start impeachment May. proceedings. Those are grounds to start impeachment. Those are grounds to start impeachment proceedings. Yes, I think that's grounds to start impeachment proceedings. I rise today, Mr. Speaker, to call May again. for the impeachment of the president of the United States of America. I continue to say it's November. Impeach 45. Impeach 45. So we're calling upon the House to begin impeachment hearings immediately. It's November. On the impeachment of Donald Trump. Would you vote yes or no? I would vote yes. September. I would vote, I would vote to impeach. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the motherfucker. January 2019. I introduced articles of impeachment in July of 2017. January 2019. He will get reelected. My oath requires me to. Uh, you have to play that part again because that's. Uh, What's his name from in Houston? July of 2017. If we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. If we don't impeach him, he will get reelected. That's very key. This is uh, 2019. This he is a bloodlust. Having impeachment hearings, he needs to scarlet eye on his chest. The representatives should begin impeachment proceedings against this president. It is time to bring impeachment charges against him. Bring impeachment charges. 2019, July. That, uh, he richly deserves impeachment. I'm here. I'm impeachment rally and we are ready to impeach the 
2019. It's a bloodlust, you know. And you and what what reasons that they have to impeach him in 2017 when they're calling for impeachment? And it didn't it didn't matter. You look at the articles that were that were introduced on him in both impeachments, and they're both ridiculous. <laughs> if you have real dirt on him, real reasons to impeach him, why weren't those reasons included in the articles? But they weren't included in the articles. The articles of impeachment were ridiculous. But they were so focused on impeaching him. And um, what's his name from Houston? The, the black... Uh, uh, James Brown or Al Green is his name. <laughs> the other singer, not James Brown, Al Green. Al Green lets the cat out of the bag. If we don't impeach him, he is going to get reelected. That's what this is all about. The, the first impeachment was to make sure that he didn't get uh, reelected in 2020 in the 2020 election. And the second impeachment was all about stopping him from running again in 2024. Uh, here's uh, Al Green again. If we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. If we don't impeach him, he will get reelected. So I'm submitting to you that that is what all of the impeachment stuff uh, was about, is about uh, stopping Donald Trump from getting reelected using impeachment to do that and again like i said uh using the second impeachment to prevent him from even running in 2024 i want to introduce you to a professor history professor named alan lichtman and uh alan lichtman uh is a history professor but he is known because he has successfully called um every uh, presidential election, I think, uh, going back to Ronald Reagan. And he has a system that he uses uh, to call uh, the he even called the election in 2016 uh, for Donald Trump. Um, and he has a system of uh, a metrics that he uses to determine who uh, the president of the United States will be and how to determine the outcome of the election. I want you to listen to this clip uh, about uh, this gentleman, and we're going to talk about uh, the metrics that he uses to call the election and determine who will be uh, the president um, in a presidential election. He studies the past for a living, but Professor Alan Lichtman has also made a name for himself by looking into the future. The historian has correctly predicted the last nine presidential elections. Look at all the faces on your screen, he called, from Ronald Reagan in 1984 all the way through Donald Trump in 2016's biggest political upset in modern U.S. history. Uh, now Lichtman says, albeit with some caution, since obviously nothing is final yet, that Trump will win again. But the professor also believes Democrats do have a shot if they impeach him. So let's talk about that. Professor Alan Lichtman ooh, is... Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so this interview, he is... Uh, in, it's in May of 2019. This is before COVID, before George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. The economy was strong. Everything was strong. And it, and, uh, it was looking like 
President Trump was a shoe-in for re-election in May of 2019. And uh, Professor Lickman is on uh, CNN to talk about uh, his metric that he uses to uh, call the election. And uh, at this time in 2019, he was calling it for Donald Trump. But he says that the, that the Democrats, the one card that they can play According to his metrics and how he he predicts who will be president, the one card that they can play is impeachment. Take a listen. Said in modern U.S. history, uh, now Lichtman says, albeit with some caution, since obviously nothing is final yet, but that Trump will win again. But the professor also believes Democrats do have a shot if they impeach him. So let's talk about that. Professor Alan Lichtman is with me now. Professor, good to have you on. Same. Good to be on. So you called it. Nine times. Nine. And you say now, and I know we're still early and this is not your official prediction, but uh, you think Trump is it in 2020 unless what? Unless the Democrats grow a spine and do their (laughs) constitutional duty and move into an impeachment inquiry. And I think the evidence will show ultimately an impeachment. It's a false dichotomy to say Democrats have a choice between doing what is right and what is constitutional and what is politically right. Impeachment is also politically right. Right now, based on my system, there has to be six negative factors against the party holding the White House, the Trump party, to predict their defeat. They're so down that's that's only his system. Three. That's but- his system. And that's the only thing that he's worried about here. He, he does give some reasons why... Trump could uh, be impeached in this interview in May 2019, the emoluments clause, and uh, I guess some other stuff that he says Trump did. None of those articles were introduced, though. Of uh, the examples that he gives here uh, of reasons that Trump uh, can be impeached, he gives uh, none of those articles were introduced, uh, but that doesn't matter. He's talking about his system. He has the system that he uses. He has a group of 13 predictors. And if the party in power, if if they don't get six of those 13 predictors, then that means that the uh, party is going to change. Um, and, and, and that's the only thing he's worried about. And he's saying that impeachment has to be used as a political tool because impeachment will help the Democrats get to these, 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 to six of these 13 markers that they need in my system to, to win the election. Because as it stands right now in May of 2019, Trump is looking strong for re-election, even after the Russia investigation, you know, uh, and, and, and all of that, all of the things that went on in his first uh, three years, he's saying impeachment is the only way that you can win Democrats. 2020, unless what? Unless the Democrats grow a spine and do their <laughs> constitutional duty and move into an impeachment inquiry. And I think the evidence will show ultimately an impeachment. It's a false dichotomy to say Democrats have a choice between doing what is right Hmm. and what is constitutional and what is politically right. Impeachment is also politically right. Right now, based on my system, 
there has to be six negative factors against the party holding the White House, the Trump party, to predict their defeat. They're down only three. Only three. <laughs> There's only three uh, negative predictors in in my system that that Trump is down right now. He's a shoe in is what uh, this professor was saying in May of 2019. Now, he admits to being a Democrat. So he is imploring the Democrats to to use the strategy of impeachment so Trump cannot be reelected. He believes in this system. And the system has worked for him in calling every president going back to Ronald Reagan. And he is imploring, as a Democrat, imploring the Democrats to, to use this political tool. That's what impeachment is. It's political. Use this political tool to, to prevent Trump from being reelected. And impeachment would nail down the scandal key, a fourth key. It might mm. trigger other keys like a real challenge to his renomination or a third party enough to defeat him. And let's so, not forget, impeachment is not just a vote in the House. It involves public hearings as part of the impeachment inquiry. And what sure. everyone forgets... Oh, well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen in this last impeachment in the impeachment inquiry, which is supposed to be done in the House of Representatives, there was no investigation in the House of Representatives. There were no public hearings in the House of Representatives. The, the House uh, voted on the articles of impeachment and then sent them to the Senate without doing an investigation. But he's right. In a normal impeachment, in the first impeachment, uh, there was uh, investigations in the House. Uh, and um, so I just wanted to make that point. A third party enough to defeat him. And let's so, not forget, impeachment is not just a vote in the House. It involves public hearings as part of the impeachment inquiry. And what sure. everyone forgets, a public trial in the Senate in which House prosecutors present evidence, present documents, make opening and closing statements. You know, Richard Nixon, before all the public revelations. He's telling you right there, that's PR. <laughs> the hearings. So you impeach him because you get to use the hearings as as PR. And that's what the House managers were using. They were using the impeachment to make an emotional case, not necessarily to the to the Senate, uh, but to people at home watching on TV. It was a, a public relations, uh, political propaganda campaign. The videos were propaganda. All of it. It was, it was to appeal to emotions. All of it. The entire case. And he is telling you right here the benefits of that politically and, and how that can help de Democrats defeat Trump in 2020. And then they used it in uh, 2019. At the end of 2019, they actually introduced the articles of impeachment for this phone call that uh, Trump had with Zelensky, which was totally uh, not illegal. I mean, it was a dumb article of impeachment, dumb impeachment, but they introduced it at the end of 2019 and at the beginning of 2020, that impeachment uh, started. And, uh, and he's giving you the whole playbook right here. The impeachment inquiry and what sure. everyone forgets, a public trial 
in the Senate in which House prosecutors present evidence, present documents, make opening and closing statements. You know, present Richard evidence, Nixon, present documents, present doctored evidence. <laughs> before all the public revelations was at 67% approval. It was the public uh, revelations of his misdeeds that drove him down to 25%. But here's the but, Professor, because if you look at it the other way, and you, by the way, very well may be correct, but if you look at the other way, if you consider that Trump is daring uh, Democrats to impeach him, right, that, that, that he sees this as this potential galvanizing moment for his party and also those, importantly, who have been on the fence ahead of 2020, might that not backfire on Democrats politically? Absolutely not. You know, why would Democrats believe an inveterate liar by, like Donald Trump. Obviously, he's trying to dissuade the Democrats from doing the one thing that could defeat him in 2020. He already has those uh, committed Trump supporters. That's not nearly enough to win an election. And given all the evidence against him, we're not just talking about obstruction of justice. We're also talking about something Mueller did not opine on. He's talking about the, um, uh, the Mueller investigation and obstruction of justice, the fact that uh, that Trump may have told uh, people to stop the investigation. That's what they were threatening to introduce articles of impeachment on. No one in introduced articles of impeachment on anything having to do with the Mueller investigation. But these are examples that he's giving here and none of that stuff was introduced in the articles of impeachment win an election and given all the evidence against him we're not just talking about obstruction of justice we're also talking about something Mueller did not opine on possible collusion with the russians we're talking about two felonies that were in which trump was implicated by the southern district of new york for the campaign finance laws we're talking about abuse That's of the payment to stormy daniels okay this is what, okay, no, no articles of impeachment were introduced on any of this. No payments to Stormy Daniels and, and campaign finance. None of that was introduced. Implicated by the Southern District of New York for the campaign finance laws. We're talking about abuse of power for undermining the separation of powers. We're talking about violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution. And in an impeachment trial, which everyone forgets about, Mm -hmm. Trump's lawyers have to make real arguments. They can't rely on Giuliani-type spin. And you know, everyone thinks the impeachment of Bill Clinton backfired against the Republicans, but two things. The evidence and the gravity of the case against Donald Trump is infinitely stronger. And while the Republicans may have lost a few House seats after the impeachment, they, they won, won the, the much House. bigger prize, the presidency, because the yep. cloud of... So it's all about. It was worth it. It was worth it. To use impeachment as a political tool. And uh, he said Trump's lawyers need to make real arguments. You know what? The House managers got to make real arguments, too, because uh, if you want to get a conviction, particularly in the Senate, you need to use real arguments, which the House managers failed to do in both impeachments. They not only failed to make real arguments, they they doctored evidence. They left they played propaganda videos and left uh, exculpatory evidence out of the videos where Trump is saying uh, march peacefully, march patriotically. They play the video and edit that out. They are changing uh, check marks on, on tweets to make it, adding check marks to make it look like it's verified accounts, changing dates. 
Uh, if I'm on a jury and the prosecution is uh, using those tactics and the defense comes up after the prosecution and they show me how the 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 prosecution just tried to deceive me by leaving information out of their videos, doctoring information. I'm going with the defense all day. All day. You think I'm I'm joking. This uh this next clip that I'm getting ready to play went viral. This is Trump's lawyer on uh CBS in after the trial and he goes off on a reporter that tries to downplay the fact that the Democrats and House managers were doctoring evidence. Take a listen to this. Um what happened at the Capitol on January 6th is absolutely horrific. But what happened at the Capitol during this trial was uh, not too far away from that. The prosecutors in this case doctored evidence. They did not investigate this case. And when they had to come uh, to the court of the Senate to put their case on, because they hadn't done any investigation, they doctored evidence. So we were just talking that- about with uh, Professor, uh, the professor we were just listening to, uh, who was saying that in, in an impeachment trial, you get the, the House investigation, public hearings and all of that. That's what's supposed to happen in an, in an impeachment. And, and he's saying because the House failed to do that, they wanted to come to the Senate and uh, and basically put on their inquiry that should have uh, taken place in the house. They want to do the investigation in the, that's why they wanted to call witnesses and, and Senate, the Senate was um, a lot of senators were saying, Hey, you didn't call any witnesses in the house of representatives. You want to call witnesses now uh, because you're supposed to call witnesses in the house of representatives. You're supposed to do investigation in the house of representatives. And he's saying, because they didn't do that, they came with a, with a shoddy, um, um, article of impeachment. They hadn't done any investigation, any work, and ended up doctoring evidence. And they were just trying to make an emotional PR propaganda case. Is uh, again what the professor was just uh, presenting to you. Had to come uh, to the court of the Senate to put their case on because they hadn't done any investigation. They doctored evidence. It was absolutely shocking. I think. Uh, when uh, when we discovered it and we were able to expose it and put it out, uh, I think it turned a lot of senators. The American people should not be putting up with this. They need to look at who uh, who these House managers were uh, and look to see whether these are the folks they want representing them. It was absolutely it was shocking to me. Wouldn't have believed it. Um. And he busted what, them red-handed. They, I mean, they had the picture of Raskin. They're looking at the computer with this tweet with two different dates on it, and Raskin is right there. And it was so brutal what they did to them and how they exposed them. Again, house managers put on a three-day case, pulling at the heartstrings, emotion, emotion, emotion. The defense put on a two and a half hour defense and they destroyed them just by showing how they doctored information and left stuff out. And uh, I mean, it was just it was brutal to me. Wouldn't have believed it. Uh, 
let's follow up with uh, with a point that you're making right now about the House managers, as you say, doctoring evidence and uh, and the argument. They didn't, de uh, they didn't to be deny clear for it. Viewers, they didn't deny it. Uh, to I be put it in front of them to be three clear times. For our viewers, what, what you're what you're talking about now is is a check mark. Uh, that's a verification on Twitter that that did not exist on that particular tweet. Uh, a 2020 that should have actually read 2021. So they added the check mark. They changed the date. Um, and the selective editing, you say, of, of the tapes. Is that how? Wait, is that wait, the wait, doctored wait, wait, evidence wait, 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 of what you're speaking? Wait. That's not enough for you. That's not enough for you. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I am not a juror in this trial. What I'm trying to be clear for our viewers is what you is what you're referring to. Not everybody has been following. It's not okay. Not everybody. Doctor a little bit of evidence. Respectfully. I have not said it is. I have not said it is okay. Ma'am, your question is. I want to be clear for our viewers. The media did. That's the media does. The media has to start evidence. The media has to start telling the right story in this country. The media is trying to divide this country. Absolutely. You are bloodthirsty for ratings. And as such, you're asking questions now that are already uh, uh, set up with a fact pattern. I can't believe you would ask me a question indicating that it's all right just to doctor a little bit of evidence. There's more stuff that we uncovered that they doctored to yeah. be you're not, you're not allowed to doctor just a little bit of evidence. He goes off <laughs> on her as he should have. And the media, he's right. And, and the media never reported on that. They only reported on, on how could these senators not vote to uh, convict Trump. Well, of course they're not going to vote to convict Trump when when the uh, prosecution is exposed. First of all, they don't do any investigation. They come to the Senate with this shoddy impeachment. And then we find that they're doctoring evidence and leaving stuff out of their propaganda videos. I mean, you're not going to get a conviction. But instead of the media talking about how the House managers faked evidence, changed dates, added check marks on tweets, Left out, uh, Snopes actually did an article, I'll put it in the show notes, I was surprised as hell about it, but uh, they marked it, uh, the fact check, 100% true, house managers edited out Donald Trump saying march peacefully and patriotically. <laughs> of course, you're not going to get a conviction. Now, let's go back to Professor Alec Li Alan Lickman, who we were just listening to uh, in an interview in May of uh, 2019. Uh, he was predicting Trump as a shoe-in uh, to win re-election unless Democrats grow a spine and, in and impeach Trump. Um, and he was saying that only three uh, negative markers uh, in his system that, that they had on, on Trump at that time in 2019, and they needed to get at least three more, and, uh, and Trump uh, could be defeated. Now, this is another interview uh, with uh, Lickman with a different outlet. who's with the New York Times now, and this is in August of 2020. And he's a Democrat again. He's a little bit more excited and a little bit more happy in this interview because his six 
markers in his system are met. Uh, again, the impeachment of Donald Trump happened in the early part of uh, 2020, but we also had COVID. And we also had George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And he's going to explain to you how those things, how China virus, how the, the Trump being impeached in, uh, in uh, the early part of 2020, how George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests all helped out the Democrats in his system in helping them hit those six markers that they needed and how those three things contributing to taking Donald Trump from what he was calling a shoe in to win in May of 2019 to now in August of 2020, he is predicting Joe Biden will be the winner. Take a listen. Let's get to it. What do Allen's 13 keys predict for 2020? And remember, an answer of true always favors the re-election of the White House party. If six or more of the keys are false, you get a political earthquake. Okay, number one. The White House party gained House seats between midterm elections. Republicans lost the U.S. House midterms in 2018, so false. Number two, there is no primary contest for the White House party. No Republicans challenge Trump for his renomination, so true. Number three, the incumbency key. The sitting president is running for re-election. Doesn't look like he's stepping down, so true. Four, there's no third party challenger. Despite claims by Kanye West to be running, this is a two party race. Hmm, this is looking pretty good for Trump so far. Number five, the short term economy is strong. The pandemic has pushed the economy into recession. False. So, China virus is what changed the economy. So this is one of his markers is the economy. The economy was strong before China virus. Now in August of uh, 2020, the, uh, the virus, the pandemic is what has affected the economy. So this metrics, this, uh, marker is, uh, is a, uh, is, is a, effect of china virus so far number five the short-term economy is strong the pandemic has pushed the economy into recession false six long-term economic growth during this presidential term has been as good as the past two terms the pandemic has caused such again this is another marker another uh, part of his system, the long-term uh, economy, and and it being measured against the two predecessors, only because of China virus, only because of COVID, is this marker in effect for Democrats. So, China virus is contributing to both of the last two markers, which went in favor of Joe Biden and the Democrats. Six. Long-term economic growth during this presidential term has been as good as the past two terms. The pandemic has caused such negative GDP growth in 2020 that the key has turned false. Number seven, the White House has made major changes to national policy. Through his big tax cut, 
but mostly through his executive orders, Trump has fundamentally changed the policies of the Obama era so true. Number eight, there is no social unrest during the term. There has been considerable social unrest on the streets with enough violence to threaten the social order. So false. This is part of his system, social unrest. And this he had this system back in 2019 when he was predicting Trump would win. Social unrest is one of these keys, one of these markers that uh, he told the Democrats, hey, that you need to to impeach Trump. That's one of the things you need to do. But if you went and you looked at his system, you could also look and say, yeah, if we can get some social unrest going, that's another one. <laughs> we can get that one going, too. We, we can get China virus coming out of the lab. We can get impeachment on some on some bullcrap uh, charge uh, with a phone call from Ukraine. And uh, we can even get the social unrest going. We can get it all going and we can change those three and get those three uh, markers, those three keys that we need to unseat Donald Trump. But the civil unrest came out of nowhere. And that's a significant marker. This is helping Joe Biden get and the Democrats get to the six keys that they need to in this guy's system. And he's accurately called every presidential election going back to Reagan with this system and this uh, this guy's system. If you can uh, do the impeachment, you can affect the economy with uh, a pandemic and you can get the social unrest going. It was a it was it was the scientific his scientific system to defeating Donald Trump during the term. There has been considerable social unrest on the streets with enough violence to threaten the social order. So false. Enough violence. He says enough violence. This is in August. This is before January 6th. And uh, the professor here is saying that uh, there's not only a lot of social unrest at this point, there's a lot of violence too. Where's that violence coming from? In the term. There has been considerable social unrest on the streets with enough violence to threaten the social order. So false. Number nine, the White House is untainted by scandal. My favorite key. As I predicted, Trump was impeached. Plus, he has plenty of other scandals. So false. Number see, see how happy he was about that? He's so happy. As I predicted, Trump was impeached. Because they impeached him, I get to now give this one to Joe Biden. So false. The president is not free of scandal because Democrats impeached him. The White House has no major foreign or military failures abroad. We've had some very difficult moments with Donald Trump, but so far, true. 11. The White House has a major success abroad. While Trump hasn't had any big, splashy failures, he hasn't had any major successes either. So, false. 12. The incumbent party candidate is charismatic. Donald Trump is a great showman, but he only appeals to a narrow slice of the American people. And as a result, false. 
13, the challenger is uncharismatic. Biden is a decent, empathetic person, but he's oh, not so inspirational or charismatic. So true. That means... Means Trump's going to lose and Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States based on this guy's very accurate system that uh, he uses to call elections. And we could use his system as a roadmap if uh, we know how his system works. And if we can get a bogus impeachment going, maybe release a virus from a lab and uh, that will uh, shrink the economy, not only the American economy, but the global economy. Uh, if we can uh, stir up some civil unrest in the streets, if we can get all that going, then we can also hit these other markers in his system and uh, get Trump out of office. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. Is this, did you sound crazy? You sound conspiratorial. You're not saying that Democrats had anything to do with China virus. No, I'm not saying that Democrats had anything to do with China virus. I'm not saying that Chuck Schumer or uh, Nancy Pelosi, that they went over and and and, you know, got the virus out of the lab and, and they went down to the wet market and uh, released it down there. I'm not saying that at all. What I will tell you, and this is I believe this with all my heart, that the virus did come from a lab. I believe that for a number of reasons, particularly if you look at the way that the virus is behaving now, mutating. It's Fauci likes to, to, to call them the mutants. <laughs> so now everybody's got to worry about the mutants. We've been in lockdown for over a year now, but we've got to worry about the mutants now. Yes, it, it came from a lab. I believe it came from a lab. And the timing of when it came out of that lab was very appropriate. People started getting sick in December towards the end of the year in 2019. At that same time is when the House was ha they were having their uh, hearings uh, for impeachment. The House of Representatives here in America. The United States and the globe, you know, was they were looking and distracted by what was going on with this impeachment as this virus started to spread in Wuhan, China. And then December, of course, are our holidays. So we're distracted by the holidays, by Christmas, by everything that goes on during that busy season with the impeachment the holidays, and then we have our new year and people are getting sick in Wuhan. And the Chinese government are disappearing doctors. There's uh, the doctor who is uh, treating these people. Who There's a couple of doctors who have been disappeared. One of them died. One of the earliest doctors who was online, uh, you know, doing videos. This virus is breaking out. I'm treating these people. He ends up dying from the virus uh, himself. Um, he's warning the world. At the same time, China is uh, censoring his videos. Other doctors who are treating these people early on in Wuhan disappeared. China covering up Chinese visitors are coming in, flying into China for the Chinese New Year in February. This is what's going on in January. At that same time, 
the articles of impeachment because you remember Nancy Pelosi held the articles of impeachment because she wanted to make sure that Mitch McConnell was going to do the right thing or whatever. So she held them for almost a month. Finally, they transfer the articles of impeachment uh, over and this virus is starting to uh, spread. People, uh, as we are having the trial in the Senate, uh, people are uh, flying out of China, out of Wuhan after the Chinese New Year. It's starting to spread everywhere. The timing was so great. I'll, I'll tell you that. I now, but not saying that that Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Obama or anybody else had anything to do with it, but the timing was great, and the way that it was used and propagandized in America by the media once it it came in, the fear that they instilled, it all contributed. The China virus contributed to the 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 need to. Increase mail-in ballot. There have been no need to even uh, increase mail-in ballots if it wouldn't be for wouldn't have been for China virus. That gave the whole cause for the mail-in ballots. China virus can be blamed for much of what went on in the 2020 election, but it wasn't only the impeachment. It wasn't only China virus. The other marker was the social unrest, and I'll say this too about the China virus uh, and the way that you know. It was propagandized. You know, CNN had that ticker uh, every night. This is how many people died. This is how many deaths Donald Trump is responsible for. I mean, Joe Biden's been president since January 20, 20th. Over 100,000 people have died of coronavirus in the United States since Joe Biden was sworn in. And you don't hear the media saying, oh, Joe Biden has... 100,000 deaths on, on his hands. <laughs> uh, um, Joe Biden killed 100,000 people. They were saying that about Donald Trump. Donald Trump killed 400,000 people. He has 400,000 deaths on his watch. I don't even know if CNN still has that ticker up anymore. I know that, that they're starting to open up uh, things. And yes, we do have the vaccine, but I don't, I mean, I don't think that, uh, that, these decisions to open things up and start to uh, ease back on some of the uh, fear mongering. I don't think that has anything to do with the science or what's going on uh, with the virus. It's already achieved its objective, but George Floyd and the video, the long video of George Floyd they held on to that for what a month, almost six weeks. The long video. Why not put the long video out in the beginning? Why? Why just put it the short little video, the video of the officer at the end of uh, the video when they finally get him on the ground and they've been wrestling with him for you know ten or fifteen minutes now. He's in the car. He's out of the car. He's you know hyperventilating. It shows all of that in the law. The long video gives you all of the context. <laughs> but somebody did not want us to have the context. So they put out the short little video of the guy on his on, on uh, George Floyd's knee, and it's sad what happened to George Floyd. I mean, he was high. Um, he had drugs in his system that didn't mean that that he should have been killed. Uh, but uh, there there were a lot of of things that contributed 
to the fact that George Floyd, I mean, he was in the back of the police car. They had him there. All he had to do is stay there and just answer their questions. They weren't, I mean, if you watch the long video, they weren't trying to harass him. The guy wasn't, they weren't trying to kill him. They didn't show you that. They set this country on fire. (laughs) They set this country on fire. And it benefited them. According to Professor Lickman's roadmap, how to get rid of Donald Trump, the, the social unrest over the summer, the robbing, the looting, the burning of the cities, all predicated on George Floyd that might not have happened if we would have had the long video, that all benefited Democrats. And, and so I'm not being conspiratorial either. I'm just telling you facts. This is what happened. This article in uh, Time magazine written by Molly Ball, it was um, um, it came out on in February 4th and it is absolutely mind blowing. But it she admits the fact that there was a conspiracy a elite cabal of businessmen, CEOs, billionaires like George Soros, Zuckerberg, um, labor unions, uh, even Republicans like the chamber, all conspiring together to make sure that Joe Biden became president of the United States. And some of the stuff in this article just blows me away. Uh, Here's a little clip of Laura Ingram talking about this article. I'm going to read a little bit of it, and then uh, we're going to talk more about the Reichstag fire, and then we'll get out of here. But take a listen to Laura Ingram uh, talk about this uh, Time article, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved. And, and, And this is the way they tell you everything that these guys did in uh, conspiring together, but they frame it in the way, oh, we saved democracy. We saved uh, the 2020 election. We did such a great thing. And and I'm telling you right now, uh, they did a lot more than what's in this article. What's in this article is only what they're allowed to tell you about what this cabal did. But take a listen to Laura Ingram here. Two months ago, President Trump was roundly ridiculed for making this observation. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, They were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. Well, it turns out he was right. This wasn't some paranoid fantasy. There was a very real and vast conspiracy to unseat him. And now it's all laid out as clear as day in the pages of Time magazine. The article written by Nancy Pelosi biographer Molly Ball describes this effort as, quote, a well-funded cabal of powerful people. He actually uses the word cabal. It's, that, that's a quote. She's quoting right here, a well-funded cabal of power, powerful people. I'm talking to you about elitism. Effort as, 
quote, a well-funded cabal of powerful people working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. They believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. Yeah, I was going to read some of uh, the article uh, uh, for you, but uh, she just, I mean, that was, I mean, if I'm just going to, I'm going to play that again. And there's a lot more in this article. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, But um, I mean, there's a lot more of this stuff in here. Take a listen again. The article written by Nancy Pelosi biographer Molly Ball describes this effort as, quote, a well-funded cabal of powerful people working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. They believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. Well, as you can see, Miss Ball, she wants to kind of cast this, these shadowy leftists as heroes of democracy. Well, indeed, one of the umbrella groups involved called itself the Democracy Defense Coalition. Yeah, it's kind of catchy, right? But that's not what they were up to. Now, this wasn't about protecting democracy, but about knocking out Trump using any means necessary. That's exactly what it was about. We're going to lay out the three major players of this unholy anti-Trump trinity. Yeah, it's uh, and and so she's right here. The first, uh, let me just play this. First, obviously, is big tech. Big tech, big tech. So big tech, uh, you know, she says in the article how the big tech was part of this cabal. Part of this conspiracy, she talks about how they work together to to uh, to. That's why um, what's his name on Twitter got rid of the article on on Hunter Biden. That, that was all part of the plan. She talks about that how they call it disinformation, but it wasn't disinformation. It was information they didn't want to get out on on Hunter Biden. So uh, Jack Dorsey on Twitter, he he deleted, censored. The uh, Washington or the New York Post from the from posting the article and it being shared on Hunter Biden and his laptop. That's all part of the cabal. That's all part of their plan. Zuckerberg was doing it too on on Facebook. This is all part of the cabal. All part of the conspiracy. All part of the plan. So that was the big tech part. Now it's no secret, right, that Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Twitter's Jack Dorsey, are rabid leftists and supported Biden. We know that the mass censorship we saw in the run-up to the election was part of a coordinated effort. It's obvious. But Time reports, in November 2019, Mark Zuckerberg invited nine civil rights leaders to dinner at his home, where they warned him about the danger of the election-related falsehoods. It took pushing, urging, conversations, brainstorming to get to a place where we ended up with more rigorous rules and enforcement says Vanita Gupta, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, who also met with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and others. Now, who is Vanita Gupta? Well, she's now Biden's associate attorney general over at DOJ. Perhaps a reward for her good work on Zuck and Dorsey. Now, these meetings paid huge dividends for the Biden team because 
In the months before Election Day, social media giants effectively became Joe's ministry of truth. Mm -hmm. Big Tech gleefully censored Trump's tweets and basically erased the New York Post bombshell on the Hunter Biden laptop and all the China connections from the Internet. Was just they, they, Google was involved. Google search engines. People who were uh, typing in, uh, you know, who is Joe Biden or Joe Biden crime bill or something like that. Then uh, for certain, for some people, they were getting different search results than uh, other people who Google uh, were targeting, and uh, they were giving them. Uh, I mean, this was all. And the, how is this not in? I mean, the whole thing with the Stormy Daniels payment, uh, they claimed that it was an election uh, violation because it was an in-kind contribution. How, how is Google doing this not an in-kind contribution? How is uh, uh, Zuckerberg and, uh, and Jack Dorsey censoring information that is is negative against the candidate they like. How is that not an in-kind contribution? But, but it goes on to say how all these people work together with Black Lives Matter. I went to these Black Lives Matter, a couple of these protests. I saw the supplies. They had, you know, pallets of water, snacks, you know, uh, you know, food. If they were hungry to come over in the middle of protesting and eat, it was all supported. Someone was paying for that. That was all part of this cabal, all part of of hitting these markers, these keys in Professor Lickman's uh, system to defeat Donald Trump. Let's listen to a little bit more of Laura Ingram, uh, and then uh, we're going to close out uh, talking about more about the Reichstag fire on January 6th. On, which, of course, gave the media cover to ignore it as just more Russian disinformation. That alone may have cost Trump the election. A media research center, MRC poll from November, found that 4.6% of Biden voters would not have voted for him had they been aware of the Hunter Biden scandal. Now, remember, Biden only beat Trump by 4.4% of the vote. Now, of course, we can't leave out the fact that Zuckerberg was key to realizing the left's dream of mass mail-in ballots. He donated $300 million dollars to local election offices and to liberal activists masquerading as nonpartisan voter education efforts. It's a lot of coin. Those leftists then turned around and worked to expand vote by mail and then enroll millions of voters. Well, this brings me to number two, BLM. When it came to turning out voters at the polls, these Marxist radicals were indispensable. Time magazine noting that the organizers who helped lead BLM wanted to harness its momentum for the election. Oh, they wanted to harness the mo- the momentum of BLM for the election. You don't say. It's all there in the article. They created a force of, quote, election defenders during early voting. And on Election Day, they surrounded lines of voters in urban areas with a joy to the polls effort. That's not all they did. Um, so she's going through uh, the article and uh, naming basically the what she calls the unholy trinity of this cabal. And she says that it's 
big business. Business is the one that she hadn't gotten to yet, but BLM, big business, and big tech all working together. Big business, BLM, and big tech. Uh, which and it's not necessarily the complete uh, cabal that is in this article. There's labor unions. The um, what's the name of that that labor union again? AFL CIO. Uh, the chamber. Um, it was it's a larger cabal uh, than just big business, big tech, and uh, BLM. But those are the foundations of the cabal, the most important elements. Now, everything is predicated, everything that's going on uh, now and that will uh, go on as uh, Joe Biden and Democrats start to move on their enemies will be predicated on what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, the Reichstag fire. But like I was telling you, in the Senate hearing uh, for the uh, president, the uh, impeachment for President Trump, uh, a lot of Republicans, particularly Lindsey Graham, uh, started asking a, a lot of questions about what Democrats knew about the riot at the Capitol before the riot of the Capitol and what they did with that knowledge. And uh, a lot of people are assuming uh, that we're not assuming speculating that uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats knew a lot more about the riot before the riot and they did nothing and they stood down. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the uh, audio of the woman in New York, uh, a Jewish woman who confronted uh, Chuck Schumer on the streets of New York the week after the Reichstag fire, January 6th Capitol protest. But she accused Chuck Schumer of telling the police to stand down and that there was a stand down. Uh, I want you to hear this. It's really interesting audio, but there's press, there's uh, Chuck Schumer there with all of his security and everything, and she does not care. She just goes into Chuck Schumer. Take a listen. You don't need to talk to me. I'm talking to this racist anti-Semite. I am glad I didn't think that the Trumpsters had it in them. I didn't think the conservatives did. But you know what? You racist socialist can dish it out, but you can't take it. And remember this, Adolf Hitler was a socialist, and that's exactly who you follow. You're nothing but a coward. See, you hide underneath your desk. I actually got sexually excited over it. That's how much I loathe you. That's how much I'm glad what they did. She's talking about the Capitol uh, riot, the protest, the Reichstag fire. She said she was watching it on TV. She actually got uh, sexually aroused watching it. That's how much she loathes Chuck Schumer is what she's saying. Power. See, you
quoting Nancy Pelosi there, and uh, and I think the um, who who was the other Democrat that actually said that? But she's quoting Democrats and uh, people on the left who actually said, "Where does it say that you have to be polite when you protest?" And Nancy Pelosi saying that she doesn't care about monuments when you know they asked her about the statues. I think I played the clip in the last episode. She's like, "I don't I don't care about monuments." And let Nancy Pelosi say. Here is when she starts accusing Chuck Schumer of of she she tells Chuck Schumer to tell his security to stand down because his security starts pushing back on her and telling her you know that's enough that's enough you said your piece and she says get away from me six feet she starts telling him six feet six feet and then she says. She says to, to Chuck Schumer, why don't you tell him to stand down? And she says, did you tell the Capitol Police to and the police to stand down at the Capitol? Did you guys stand down and allow it to happen is what she accuses him of? You're nothing but a cracker. That's all you are is a racist cracker. You can dish it out. Look, you've got protection. Why don't you tell them to stand down, hypocrite? Did you tell the Capitol Police to stand down? This is a week after the Reichstag fire. This woman is uh, is confronting Chuck Schumer on the streets of New York. It is awesome. But she's making a point there that a lot of people are making now, even those in the halls of the Senate. And Nancy Pelosi says that she's calling a uh, 9-11 style commission to look into what happened. Yeah, we want to look into what you knew and when you knew it, Nancy Pelosi. Lindsey Graham wants to know. A lot of people want to know. That woman on the street yelling at Chuck Schumer. Did you tell the Capitol Police to stand down? We want to know what you knew. Well, we know what AOC, Mrs. AOC, and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Mrs. Cortez, we know what she knew before January 6th because she tells us. She put out this video. I think I played a little bit of it in uh, the last uh, podcast or talked about it, but this video that she put out telling her story, uh, again, uh, she put this out just prior to the Senate impeachment hearing, and she was trying to use it, again, as more emotional uh, evidence, uh, more uh, emotional appeal, pulling on the heartstrings. She talks about her, you know, being sexually assaulted and saying that that's the way she felt when she was down in the bathroom, when she heard someone bang on the door. Where is she? And all this drama that she, you know, creates in this 20, uh, 20 minute video. 
Um, and she, you know, was not even there at the Capitol. She was across the street in their offices. But she lets another little piece of evidence out of the bag in that video about what was known about the the riot and the violence that was expected at the Capitol on January 6th. And ask yourself if AOC had all of this information about what was going to be happening at the Capitol on January 6th at the Reichstag fire. Why didn't Nancy Pelosi have this information or did she? Let's take a listen to AOC. One of the things that I would like us to dispel is the idea that this insurrection and this attack happened suddenly. That we couldn't see it coming and that it was like just this outburst and all of a sudden a bunch of people rushed the Capitol. Right there. <laughs> she wants to dispel that, that, that notion that, that this came out of nowhere, that this was all of a sudden, that there was nothing anyone can, can, do, can do about it. She wants to dispel that, the fact that there was nothing that anyone could have done about it and that this was not foreknown is what AOC says. Dispel is the idea that this insurrection and this attack happened suddenly that we couldn't see it coming and that it was like just this outburst and all of a sudden a bunch of people rushed the capitol um i want to dispel with that notion very quickly because everybody knew that something was going to happen really does that include nancy pelosi Does that include Chuck Schumer when she says everybody knew that something was going to happen? Who who is everybody? She she seems to know a lot. Listen to more of this. She seems to know a lot. Did Nancy Pelosi know what AOC knows, or is AOC you know privy to some you know information that nobody else has? But but that's obviously not true because AOC says everybody knew something was going to happen. I assume that includes Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer as well. It's like just this outburst and all of a sudden a bunch More of More importantly, are- Nancy Pelosi, because Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House and she is uh, third in line to be uh, President of the United States. Capital. Um, I want to dispel with that notion very quickly. Because everybody knew that something was going to happen. Um, and again, I do not speak for any other. Let me let me actually rewind this. She has to catch herself right there. She says, you know, everybody knew. But I don't speak for everybody, but everybody knew. And then I have to rewind myself. I have to catch myself because, you know, some people could be getting in trouble because I just implemented saying everybody knew she just said everybody knew everybody knew and then watch what she does when she catches herself and she goes back and she reframes it that notion very quickly because everybody knew that something was going to happen um and again i do not speak for any other let me let me actually rewind this 
and I'll, I'll try to recenter. And again, as I said, thank you for your patience here. You already said it, honey. But um, what I'm about to tell you is my account, how I perceive things with my eyes, my ears, my nose, my mouth, <laughs> um, my body. I cannot speak for what anyone else saw, etc. You already did. You said everybody knew. You just said that. You already said everybody knew something was coming. My body. I cannot speak for what anyone else saw, etc. Unless there was someone in the room with me. But here's what I will tell you. A week before, one week before, the week prior to the insurrection, I started to get text messages. Where'd she get text messages from? <laughs> I mean, we need to find out. I hope that in this 9-11 style investigation that Nancy Pelosi is now calling because people are asking questions about what she knew. I hope in that investigation we find out who was text messaging AOC and what were the messages saying a week before January 6th? A week before, one week before, the week prior to the insurrection, I started to get text messages that I needed to be careful. And that in particular, I needed to be careful about the 6th. Um, for the timeline for you to know, uh, this Congress got sworn in that Sunday and the insurrection happened, you know, Sunday, then the insurrection happened Wednesday. So there was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Don't forget I in that same week, they passed the uh, omnibus. Um, they decided they were going to send $600 checks to everyone. And like I told you in my last episode, uh, that same weekend before January 6th, and the week before uh, both Nancy Pelosi and Chuck uh, or uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, both of their homes in Kentucky and in Northern California were vandalized. Uh, they left a severed pig's head at Nancy Pelosi's home and spray painted, where's my money on uh, Mitch McConnell's door. Then the insurrection happened Wednesday. So there was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I probably started getting text messages about um, having... Multiple text messages. Multiple text messages. She's getting for people telling her, watch out, something's coming on January 6th. I'm sure the FBI is getting... Oh, I played the clip of the FBI telling the Capitol Police, hey, we'll come back you up. And I played the clip from Associated Press. If I have time uh, here at the end of this podcast, I'm going to play that clip again. But it's from Associated Press. And uh, the FBI uh, tells the Capitol Police, hey, we want to come and back you up. And the Capitol Police tells the FBI, no, we got this. AOC is getting multiple text messages of people telling her, watch out. There's stuff coming on January 6th. It's going to be big. You know, Nancy Pelosi, does she not know any of this stuff? Having plans um, for my safety or me trying to figure something out about Thursday. Um, and those text messages came from other members of Congress. Um, <laughs> no <laughs> Whoa. 
other members of Congress, her, her, some of her colleagues in Congress were sending her text messages about what the violence and what was going to go on on January 6th. And wow, did did any of these people know Nancy Pelosi's phone number and were able to call her and tell her, look, there's going to be violence. There's going to be a bunch of people here. Maybe we should have something more than these little bitty gates that, that you know, people can move out of their way and step over. Maybe we should have more security here or something. These same Congress people who are texting AOC, did they text Nancy Pelosi? We need to find this out in this 9-11 style commission that Nancy Pelosi is now calling. For my safety or me trying to figure something out about Thursday. Um, and those text messages came from other members of Congress. Um, not They were not threats, but they were other members saying that they knew um, and that they were hearing even from Trump people and Republicans um, that they knew in their life that there was violence expected on Wednesday. Um, so that was what I was hearing that prior Thursday. So then that night a week Thursday- before a week before the Wednesday of January 6th, that six days before the Thursday before she's saying she's getting text messages, plenty of time to move troops, plenty of time to put up gates, pretty plenty of time to put security. I mean, I can't make it any clearer than what she's making it here. She says everybody knew. Members of Congress are texting her. They're saying that they know. Everybody, the FBI, and 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 it was a stand down, people. This was a Reichstag fire stand down. I was hearing that prior Thursday. So then that night, Thursday or Friday. So then that night, I immediately contacted my staff and I said, um, we need to figure out a security plan and we need to figure out what we're going to do. Why wasn't Nancy Pelosi talking about and saying, we need to figure out a security plan. We need to figure out what we're going to do. AOC is getting text messages blown up by other members of Congress a week before is AOC is got the foresight to say that we need to make a plan. We need to do something. And Nancy Pelosi, the only thing she could say is that she didn't know. How could she have not known? My staff and I said, um, we need to figure out a security plan and we need to figure out what we're going to do. So um, we get sworn in that Sunday. The, the next day, that Monday, was one of the first legislative votes that we had in this new Congress. It goes on. Uh, it's, there's, there's more. I've played enough. You, you get the point. They knew that it was going to happen, and they did nothing. I'm going to play uh, this clip that I've played before, but it's uh, from Associated Press, and uh, they're reporting that the FBI uh, offered to help the uh, back up the uh, Capitol Police, and the Capitol Police told him, no, we got it. This was a stand down. We're also finding out that this officer, Officer uh, Sicknick, who supposedly got killed, I told you he got someone threw a fire extinguisher at him. I, I, I'm not even sure that that's true now. They won't release his 
police report. Uh, I mean, he we know for a fact that uh, he text uh, text his brother later that evening, saying that all I got was maced and I'm fine. And then he ends up dead. So that's fishy too. There's a lot of fishy stuff uh, going on here. But this is that Associated uh, Press clip, and then I'll go ahead and play us out. The Associated Press has learned that top Justice Department officials offered to send the FBI in as backup. The police said they could handle it. They said they can handle it. The Justice Department offered to send the FBI in as backup, and the police said, no, we got this. We can handle this. We are standing down. Let's listen to that again. The Capitol tonight. The Associated Press has learned that top Justice Department officials offered to send the FBI in as backup. The police said they could handle it. Top Associated Press. It's all there. Associated Press is reporting top Justice Department officials offered the FBI as backup, saying you need the FBI. And the Capitol Police said no. Hmm. Well, that's been episode 83. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I messed up and said that Officer Sicknick's uh, police report is not being released. I, not his police report. His um, autopsy report is not being released uh, for some reason. And uh, there's a lot. Uh, he could have been cremated. The, the casket that they had in the Capitol could be empty with uh you know an urn of ashes inside of it because that's what's being reported is that he was cremated um a lot of fishy stuff a lot of fishy stuff and hope you enjoyed it please uh visit the website according to sam with the number two uh all together all one word according to sam with the number two dot com uh i'll be back with episode 84 as soon as possible thank you so much for listening